You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Conversations and Meditations. I'm your host, Virgil Varys, and today is January 4th, 2020. Happy New Year. That's crazy. I feel like I'm in the future, 2020. <laughs> All right. So uh, as I did last year, we did a past year review of 2018. And instead of doing a past year review of uh, 2019, I kind of wanted to do a past decade review in a sense and kind of go over uh, outlooks for – 2020 and what I can expect or what you can expect or what I think is going to that might happen. Um, but the main thing I kind of wanted to get out uh, is the idea and the concept that a lot of people have that things are getting much, much worse and there is little progress going on and there's little change in the world. And this has kind of been a recurring theme on the show here where I like to point out the positive news that we have in the world and kind of focus on that because – so many times, whether it's through podcasts, uh, through social media, through uh, news corporations, you know, the corporate press, uh, there's a lot of news out there that is just focused on negativity and focused on uh, the stories that are not, up, you know, showing and pointing to the positive things that are happening in our society and in the world in general. So. I think it's been kind of – that since I have this platform, um, since I have this platform, I believe that I should be using it to at least some of the time focus on the things that have made you know me understand the world in a little bit better way and has kind of changed my outlook uh, because if you're just getting negative news constantly and you're just getting information that – is pessimistic, you're not going to have a good outlook for your future and for the future of the world. And that kind of can, you know, spiral in different ways. So if you take in a lot of negative news and you're a person that gets affected by the negative news, meaning uh, it emotionally affects you in, in some way or another, then it'll eventually have an effect on your life. And it'll eventually, you know, it'll be that, you know, little uh, uh, storm cloud going over you while you're walking down the street because your outlook on the world is not a one of op optimism or uh, or careful excuse me careful optimism uh, or one of hope uh, therefore it can lead to some negative thoughts about uh, yourself the state of the world and 
whether or not anything actually matters. So it can kind of lead you to a kind of nihilistic place and kind of a real sad existence. Um, but I think, you know, since we have, you know, the internet and since we have tremendous amounts of data out there, uh, we can see the things that are changing and getting better and we can see the things that are getting worse. And there's a ton of, you know, data points that I can point to and I will probably point to today to kind of bring up why the 2010s were arguably, and this is not just my argument, many, there's been many, many uh, articles online from uh, independent journalists and, and the corporate press that have made the statements that the 2010s are, has been the best uh, decade in human history, uh, according to uh, multiple metrics. So I guess why, why a past decade review and not a past year review? That's a question that I had in my head while uh, coming up with this episode. Uh, I think, you know, I, I gave a pretty good outline of what a past year review can be. Right. I think I, I gave a pretty decent um, examples of how to do a past year review and how to take the information that you had from the last year, you know, how to, you know, look at the last year, you know, put it, you know, write it down, what was good, what was bad, and figuring out how you can include more of the good in your life and reduce more of the bad things in your life or the things that hold you down. Um, so it's important, I think. Since that's already been done, I think it's important to focus on the decade because now that we're in 2020 and it's you know pretty obvious it's a new decade because of the way it is and the way it's numbered, um, and it's it, it has more of a emotional significance than you know 2019. It's or when when you're away from a de- from a decade, uh, a new decade. People don't really feel that way until you know it kind of hits you that wow we're 2000, you know, was 20 years ago. And that's uh, really crazy for a lot of people to hear. I mean, it's kind of uh, surreal for me, too. I mean, I remember I was really, really young and the Y2K crisis was going on. And I remember my parents and my family members were buying water, buying, you know, canned food and everything. And then, you know, midnight hit and the computers just turned to zero, zero, <laughs> you know, two, zero, zero, zero. And it was just, you know, 2000 and it was fine. You know, nothing changed. Everything you know moved on, and I think that's kind of an example that I wanted to point out today. You know, every every upcoming decade or you know change, I feel, especially decades, um, there is a shift in the way people react and feel towards things. Um, there is a change in the way you process information. You know, you're growing, you're changing. Um, so, decade is pretty significant. Mostly, uh, I mean, not significant in the greater sense, but significant to human beings because I think we kind of play off decades because that's kind of how we age and that's what makes sense to us uh, more so than, you know, every 50 years or every 40 years or 30. I think a decade is a pretty healthy place for us to kind of look back and figure out what was good and what was bad in our lives. So I guess when it pertains to us and then I'll probably go in, into the world and, you know, why this decade was the best for human for humanity. Um, I think for us, the important thing to look at is uh, over the decade, have you made incremental improvements in your abilities, in your goals, in your uh, aspirations, and in your um, character? Have you made incremental or have you kind of stagnated continuously over the decade? Have you actually had the chance to uh, – you know, get better at something? Have you actually had the chance to, uh, you know, push yourself beyond your limits and make um, make a better situation of the, of the life you have? 
there is there is ways to measure this, and I think it's important for us to first before we look at the world and look outside. I think it's important first to look inside and understand why you know the decade might have been good or bad or or pretty neutral. So I think the first thing we can do, and this is in vain of you know in vain of uh, the past year review in a lot of ways. I think it's important to look at have we treated ourselves? How have we treated ourselves as a decade has you know progressed? Have we been generally pretty good to ourselves or have we mistreated ourselves? So a way to kind of an example of that is over the decade, have I been, you know, somebody has been overweight, right? Have I been trying to get healthier and better? And if the answer, the answer might not be a complete solid yes. It might be, yeah, for, for parts of the decade I was trying and parts of the decade I wasn't. So it can be, you know, various and different. Another example is um, in terms of your character, uh, have I been over the last decade? Have I been more kind to people rather than being, you know, put offish and kind of snobbish and mean? And if the answer is, you know, solid yes, and then that's a good thing. You've made an improvement in your character, and you're not, you know, annoying to people. <laughs> but you know, if, if the answer is no, or I don't know, or I don't know if I can really quantify that, then that means you need that's something you need to work on, right? So there's a way in understanding for us to to work on these things and grow. But I think if we don't do, like I said, you know, past year review and also a past, in this case, a past decade review, I don't think it's easy for, I don't think it would be easy for us to make these changes. Because if you're not aware and conscious to the way you act and to the way, what you have in your mind in terms of your goals and your aspirations, then there isn't going to be a solid, you know, foundation there for us to, you know, build upon and grow from. I just don't think that's that's going to happen. So that is an issue, and I think if we have the the mindset and the outlook that you know this this last decade for me was good in so many ways, but there's so many things that I could have improved on, I don't think that's a failure in any way. I think that means that you know you're working hard, you're trying hard, you're doing as the best you can, but you're understanding where your limitations are and how you can build upon those limitations, how you can maybe you know surpass those limitations and exceed those limitations. So I really do think it's important for us to take that you know into into uh, effect and put that and kind of integrate that in within our uh, understanding of a lot of this stuff. So I do think if we look at the decade ourselves and look at why or why not it was good, I think we can really figure out what we need to do for the next decade and kind of plan. And I, I'm not a really big believer in planning, you know, super long term because I think that so many th- variables and things change over time that it's kind of impossible to, to make plans that will be the way you envision them 10 years before. I think it's very hard. I think you can have general open options and open plans like, oh, I want to get married in 10 years. You know, oh, I want to have kids. You know, it can be stuff like that. I want to graduate, you know, from school in 10 years. It can be anything, anything you want it to be, right? Uh, you just have to have some type of goal, but it has to be broad enough to where, you know, within that period of time, if that goal is not met, you know, because of how specific it is, you're not going to get bummed, right? Having, you know, saying you can get, I want to get married in 10 years. Uh, I think that's a very, you know, 10 years is a lot of time, right? And I think that's a very achievable thing for people to do um, in a lot of ways. I think if you, you know, and I'm not going to get into that, but I also think that the same thing for I want to lose weight in the next 10 years. 
yeah, I think that's a very achievable thing to do if you put your mind to it. I think anything that's within the bounds of reason and within the bounds of your capabilities, you can do. It's just it's going to be a lot of work and take a lot of work, right? So that's that's the way that's the way we move forward. That's the way we improve. Uh, and if we have a vision for a ten year, you know, a ten year vision, I think a more broad vision that is focused on incremental improvement, not, oh, within the first five years of the decade, I want this to happen and I want that to happen. I want to do this and I want to do that. I think you're just setting up for yourself to disappointment and failure. It's too much pressure. It's just way too much pressure when you have it that open-ended. You know, when you have things more broad and more, um, you know, uh, spread out in, in that type of way, it's easier to accomplish that because it's not a pressure. It's more so a... It's more so a constant reminder, right? It's more so a oh, this is a goal versus this is a, you know, this is torture <laughs> because you're just constantly thinking of how you, you have to accomplish this goal. I think a lot of people have that problem uh, when it comes to resolutions. That's kind of why I don't, you know, believe in resolutions that much. I think, like I, you know, I just believe in taking the best from last year and improving and doing more of that and removing the, the negative from last year and taking that out. Um, but if uh, – and you can know, you can hear more about that in the past year review uh, episode I did uh, last year this time. Um, but it's important also to make a point and make a, a, a statement that something like you know a resolution like – I want to get healthy this this year. I mean it's it's you can do that. Yeah, 100%. You can definitely do that. And you know, I was at the gym and the gym was way busier than it's ever been. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. People make resolutions and just go to the gym for like 2 weeks and then they stop and then that's it." And it's, you know, uh I think a lot of that is, you know, motivated reasoning, but it's not motivated very well. You know, they try to reason themselves into, oh, yeah, I need to get healthy and because it's a resolution versus I need to get healthy because I might die. <laughs> and I think that's much more effective than, you know, this is a resolution. Uh, if somebody has, you know, is overweight and they have issues with their, with their health, a resolution is not going to make somebody, you know, put down the chicken nuggets, right? It's not going to, it's not going to make anybody do that. It's, it, what it's, what it will do is, you know, short term, Give that person a boost because it's kind of like a competition now and it's competition against myself. I have a resolution. I have to keep it up uh, versus um, I irrationally thinking about like, hey, uh, there's a lot of things I can do to myself that would get me better in a, in a better position health-wise and a better position in terms of feeling comfortable and all this stuff. Therefore, I need to you know act in this certain way. I think that's you know pretty important and, and – uh, I think it's a more accurate way of looking at that versus, you know, I have resolutions, therefore I'm going to do this. I think that's a little – I think it just doesn't work out that way. I don't think it just doesn't work. I just don't agree with that. I just don't see it. I just don't see that being a – I just don't see that being a positive thing uh, and a long-term thing. I don't see that being a long-term positive thing. But that's just the way I that's just that's the way I kind of look at that, right? It's you know everybody has their own opinion on it, and everybody has their own you know ideas and why they think resolutions are important. I just don't think resolutions ever work for me. Since I've been doing past year reviews, my life has gotten uh, I wouldn't say exponentially better, but much better. Um, 
because I've actually, you know, taken into effect and kind of contemplated a lot of the uh, a lot of the things that happened in the year prior and then go ahead and move forward and figure out what needs to be done and what needs to be left behind. But I think that's that's kind of why I prefer that because you're able to contemplate and actually think about it versus, you know, a quick, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to take this out of my diet and I want to put this on my diet. It's very specific and very um, anxiety-inducing. And I think the same thing could happen if you if you make plans for a decade and then all of a sudden – you know, they become this intricate web of, of planning and um, intricate web of this is going to happen in this time and I want this to happen here. I'm going to graduate exactly on this date and then I'm going to, you know, my girlfriend and I are going to end up doing, you know, getting married at this time. I'm going to propose there. And it's, it just becomes – it be, your life becomes kind of like a prison uh, and you're the warden, <laughs> Identi- you know, ironically. Um, and it's it's hard to do that. It's hard to maintain that. It's not easy because more than likely it's it's going to cause a lot of stress and you know more than likely it'll it'll make you kind of go crazy a little. Because you you know you kind of feel like I have these aspirations and you know ideas for myself but in reality uh, this is terrible, this is horrible, nothing's going right. I'm failing every time I try to do something. Everything is, you know, falling apart, it's all falling out of my hands. You know, it it becomes extremely anxiety inducing. You know, therefore, I think when we do make plans for a decade, uh, for the decade, I think it's essential and important for us to be broad with them and understand that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a one way street. You know, it's, we're going to have to fight to get there, and you know, figure out what the ten year plan is, and then you have to fight to work and work hard for it. Nothing will come to you in life. Uh, you just have to really have put effort and work hard for it. And just like you know, if you want to, you know, get into a really meaningful relationship, you have to work hard for it. Um, if you want to lose weight, you got to work hard for it. If you uh, want to be more of a benevolent person, you have to work hard at it, right? You ha- if you want to be more conscious and more of a you know an active listener. You also have to work hard for it. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it because it will connect. It'll help connect you not only to yourself but to everyone around you. And uh, because it's the universal thing that everybody's trying to do, we're all trying to improve. Whether we consciously or you know subconsciously know it, we're all trying to improve. And it's hard for us to put it into perspective, but it's we're all in it together because even if we if we don't talk to anybody about these things and go through these things, you know, know that everybody is going through it and everybody is working on you know on themselves and trying to get better. Uh, I think very few people are actively not trying to, you know, do at least one thing. Um and there are people that, you know, are like that, but I think, you know, they're few and far between. I think most people are actively, you know, conscious of the stuff that they need to do, but just don't act on it. You know, and the will to act is everything. If we have the ability to do that and the ability to act, then I think we can make a meaningful change and make the next decade, you know, to 2030, the best decade in our lives possible. And I think we have no other choice. I don't think we have a choice to um, to do that other than other than to do that. I think it's. It's imperative for us to 
make the best of our lives and if we know what needs to be done in order to make it better, we have you know every chance and every opportunity to do it. And I think we should. All right. So that's enough about how we can make 2020 to 2030 the best decade of our lives. And, uh, you know, it's enough about, you know, a personal past year, a past decade review. But I kind of want to do or move on to uh, a past decade review of humanity, the world, right? And uh, like I said at the, in the beginning of the show uh, today, uh, by all measures or the majority of measures, let's put it that way, um, we had the best decade in human history. And like I said, many people have a hard time uh, processing that. Many people have a a tough time with – the you know taking a lot of this in, but there because and I think because of certain things that are alarmist, you know. So people will point at things happening in the world, and will you know focus on something and then will not point to the larger data. You know, people focus on the headlines, not the trend lines. And I think what we need to do is focus on. You know the trend lines and not the headlines, because the headlines are really made for us to you know be outraged and you know get angry about. It's 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 designed to do that. So I think we need to focus on the news that comes in. You know, take the news in, try to understand it, make sure that. Are they putting this out, you know, because for clickbait or is this a legit article coming out? And, you know, you have to look at the article and figure out whether or not or look at the piece of news that you're being told and look at whether or not, you know, this news is, you know, essentially accurate or true. Um, because a lot of a lot of times um, people will put, you know, post and put things online and will read the, the headline but then don't read the article and the article is different when the headline says and then you can talk to them about it and they're just you know repeating what the headline said but didn't go into the article and in the article they have a few things that kind of contradict the he- the trend the headline itself because you know the headline is just there to grab people and you know whether to shock or whether to uh incite some type of emotional feeling therefore the person will then share it or then you know send it to somebody uh, and it just becomes a – it just becomes very annoying and very funny to me uh, because it's it's not reality. It's not the truth. You're just getting a narrative about what's happening and in the world and the narratives tend to go towards alarmist and you know, catastrophic or catastro- catastrophizing a lot of different things when, you know – a lot of things are improving and getting better. So one of the things we've we've barely, you know, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but I'm not really sure uh we we focused on this, you know, uh climate change. Now there's a lot of negative things happening with climate change right now. Uh, it's there's a lot of uh, things that you can see that are bad and horrible that are going on with climate change, 
But there's a lot of hope to have and to be out there. Um, there is a lot of things going on. There is fantastic people out there that are working really hard to make a difference. So one of these one of these individuals is Boyan Slant from I think the Netherlands. He came up with a company called the Ocean Cleanup, where it has these. It's basically a giant ocean like net. That doesn't uh, harm any of the wildlife or anything like that inside the inside the uh, ocean, and it basically he's trying to clean up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and with his estimates, it should take about five to ten years. So, in terms of a decade change, I mean, we could talk about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch you know, disappearing, and don't think you know you drinking from a plastic straw is going to make that any better because ninety five to ninety eight percent of the trash is coming from Southeast Asia. So it's mostly not us that's causing you know that particular pollution, but we definitely pollute a lot as well. Um, but I think it's important to understand that there are people out there like this you know gentleman who are creating market-based ideas, you know, inventions to solve the crisis, to, to change you know the world and make the world a better place. And he's also just in, introduced a unit that goes into rivers and uh, lakes, I believe. And he's using it right now, I think, in Malaysia and a few other places in Southeast Asia. And they're having wonderful, wonderful um, results so far. And they're cleaning up these rivers. You know, with enough funding, this can, you know, this can really be taken to the next level. And but the thing is, people don't focus on that. People will just focus at the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and will focus on the problem and never talk about it. But you know, looking for the, you know, there within the last decade. This individual who came up with the idea when he was 17, I think, and now he's like 23, 24, and now he's you know built this company where he has these boats going out and collecting you know, in these nets, collecting all this garbage, and now he's going to take the garbage, recycle the garbage, and uh, you know sell gear from it and then reinvest it back into his operation. I mean it's, it's a genius idea. It's a genius plan, and I really think you know ingenuity like this is what's going to save humanity, you know. I don't think – and what's going to you know, help with the climate crisis. I don't think you know, having, a, having a carbon tax is going to make – or get, you know, paying a tax to anybody is going to make you know, climate change better or worse. You know, if anything, I think that it's, it's just another way for you know, the state to get more money. Um, but I, I do agree and do think that, yeah, there needs to be a move towards – a shift towards alternative energies – and you know nuclear power, but there has to be a shift towards it. But I think the biggest thing that has to change there is we, as you know, as countries, have to stop subsidizing these or you know these uh, you know fossil fuel companies. We have to stop subsidizing them. Um, you know, we subsidize them and give them a lot of money, and uh, it causes a lot of you know artificial pricing and a lot of artificial things that go on and go further. And then you know. Uh, they they have you know artificial demand and then they bring in supply and then they mess with the supply and they raise the price and it just becomes a very very uh, it's a very dirty business and I think we need to focus on a lot of these things because technology you know not not being alarmist and using technology will help tackle the climate you know, climate crisis. I think that is super important for us to understand. And things, I do think things will get better given that, 
we do make the right choices for the future. Now, I know a lot of people when it comes to nuclear power um, are very afraid and they, they have, you know, the, you know, the China uh, – I think it's called the China Syndrome or whatever. Uh, that was like that movie that came out a long time ago that made people uh, freak out about nuclear power because they, you know, showed it being like a bomb and all this stuff. And, you know, people will point to legitimate accidents like uh, Fukushima and, um, you know, Chernobyl that happened in the Soviet Union in the 80s, I believe. Uh, but the problem with those examples is they were not – though. this is – there's a few things wrong with those uh, those situations. In Fukushima, they built it right on the fault line and you're never supposed to do that, like ever. But they did and uh, that was a, that was a you know, catastrophic mistake. Uh, I mean probably a catastrophic decision. I mean I wouldn't even call it I – mean, they, they probably thought, oh, we'll put it here. We're never going to have anything that bad, and the building is te- rated for this and rated for that. But you know they didn't plan accordingly, and then you know on top of that, they put the generators in Fukushima underneath sea level. So as soon as the water rushed in, the generators got destroyed, and then they couldn't you know keep the uh, the, ch- the chain reaction in control. And then you know th- what's happening right now is happening. And yes, it's it's terrible. But in the in the in the bigger picture, you know. This is very, very true. There's a documentary out there called Pandora's Box, you know, talking about this. Uh, nuclear power does not, you know, uh, emit CO2 at all. You know, people think, you know, when they look at nuclear, uh, you know, cooling towers, they think that's that's, uh, you know, some type of emission. No, that's steam. They're boiling water with the uh, with with the heat from the, the radiation from the nuclear power that's what they're doing you know that, that i think you know there's a big misunderstanding of how nuclear power works i think if most people just you know talked about it and be honest about it then i think there will be a way for us to you know within the next 10 years look at a better scenario where the world is being you know um primarily powered by nuclear power which is you know clean fuel um, and then people then also have another objection. What are you going to do with the fuel that's spent? You know, the rods that are spent. And I think there's a lot of different things that can be done. I think the way we're doing it right now is not very good. But there's been a very very promising thing over the last uh, you know information over the last ten years. They have um there has been development in the way of storing this. So in terms of storing it, some uh, I think it was a young kid actually. It was like sixteen, seventeen. He was given some science uh, award from President Obama. He came up with an idea instead of you know bo- barreling it up and everything, like spreading it out and making it into like a glass, and you know planting it flat, and then that way you'd be able to you know stack it instead of put it in barrels, and then you'd be able to have a lot more of that waste, and you know in these locations and areas in the desert wherever we have it, versus what we have today. But also there's been developments in terms of using lasers to uh, reduce the half-life of these uh, rods and then make them pretty much inert and not dangerous to us. There's a lot of testing going on with this stuff. But this stuff has all been come up with in the last decade, but nobody's talking about the developments here. Also, there's, you know, different types of reactors that, you know, one of the sad things is, you know, with the reg- with the regulation on building the nuclear – or designing these nuclear uh, reactors – we were used a lot of the reactors are still you know going based off 70 1970 1980s tech we're not using the highest most you know efficient stuff right now so there's two reactors right now that that are in development 
that have tremendous, you know, promising things. And I will do, I will have a show on, you know, how, solutions for climate change. That is a show that I want to have. And I think, you know, this is kind of like an intro to a lot of this stuff. There's, you know, fusion, which is basically, um, if done correctly, is like harnessing the power of the sun. Uh, anybody here see Spider-Man 2? You know, Doc Ock, what he was doing with that giant sun? That's fusion. <laughs> and, uh, it, to be honest with you, that's a, that's a throwback right there. But to be honest with you, uh, you're basically, it's basically free energy. I mean, it, it'll, you can, it uses helium three, I believe, H3. Um, and there's a ton of that on the moon. And we will be able to power. And once you have, you know, one of whoever reaches, you know, fusion will be on top in terms, I mean, you'd be able to power large swaths of the country. I mean, I'm not really sure. And I'll, I'll be getting more information on this for that, for that particular show on, you know, solutions to climate change. But from what I understand, like, you can power, like a lot, a lot of things. I mean, I would not be surprised if you can power like half the country on, you know, a fusion plant. But nobody's talking about, you know, these developments. Nobody's talking about, you know, the changes we can make and get, you know, completely get off fossil fuels through things like, you know, the fusion reactor and all this other stuff. Or another example is the, uh, I think it's called the, the molten salt reactor. Uh, it's a lithium, I think, lithium, yeah, lithium molten salt, uh, I think it's what it's called, reactor. And it's a new type of reactor that they're, you know, uh, developing right now. And uh, it's really changing a lot of things and making a lot of things or putting it into a – it's changing the game because, in, you know, the, the way traditionally nuclear power plants from what I'm understanding is they would use rods, which were, you know, physical, you know, hard, solid um, waste. And then they would do it, you know, they would create it and then you would have the way solid waste and you would have to – you know, somehow get rid of it, and it was you know it, there, with 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 the traditional you know uranium um, reactors there is there is danger right, uh, but you know there has been some some changes, there has been some uh, some new things that have that are coming out and that are that are trying to be uh, changed, and you know there's you know there's they're called molten salt reactors. Uh, it's a fission process. It's a fission reactor, and there have been many different, you know, people trying to come up with a lot of this stuff, and a lot of these ideas, and it's been very. There's not a lot of funding towards a lot of this stuff, but it can really change a lot of things and make things uh, better because it's much less dangerous than the traditional nuclear power plants that we have today, and the waste is much less dangerous too, and. There has been a few different ideas of how we can uh, take this and you know make it you know uh, a usable real thing, and I, there has been a lot of things coming out uh, that do point to this becoming uh, a viable option and something that can work. But I. Uh, 
All right. So yeah, when you're talking about, and when I was talking, uh, I said lithium. I think I meant, I meant thorium, uh, uh, molten salt reactor. Um, so there is uh, there is a lot of things coming out in the in the future. So I I do think that we need to look towards these type of solutions, you know, to make to make our world a better place because. Thorium is, you know, thorium-based nuclear power. I do believe is the is the future, and it's a better fuel, you know. But it's it's tough because it's going to take some time, you know, for for these uh, companies. I think one of them out there is is called. I forgot the name of it. Excuse me, but these 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 individuals right now are trying to design these reactors, and we'll see. And it's much. I think it's much cheaper to design than the current reactors. Much safer, and you won't need as much you know infrastructure design, which will make it much cheaper. And like I said, I'll be talking more about that in the uh, upcoming podcast on uh, solutions to climate change, but. One thing that I I do want to you know bring up and talk about that, especially when you know concerning climate change. You know, another thing uh, is we right now Bill Gates has been tossing a lot of his money into a company I think in Canada that are creating like towers that suck in CO two and release oxygen into the air and nitrogen into the air. So that's huge because. In areas where there's a lot of, you know, uh, CO2 in the atmosphere, these, you know, types of solutions can reduce the amount of CO2 and, you know, make or, or make the situation and make the, the outcomes much better for us in the next 10 years. Um, I, I think, you know, focusing on the negative and just being, you know, doom and gloom and thinking that, oh, we need this and that to, you know, we need this and that government policy to change this and that. I don't think that's what is necessary. I think the only, I mean, the thing government should do is maybe say, hey, any and all companies that are, you know, working towards this should get some type of, you know, I wouldn't say subsidy, but I would say maybe tax break or something like that. It would incentivize people to invest in these companies, maybe. That's just an idea. And, you know, I don't know if that could work, but this is an idea. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do to make uh, to make this work. I just think we have to, you know, first educate the people on what, you know, is changing and how, you know, in the field of you know climate solu- change, climate change solutions, and what we can do to maybe increase that, right? So people like Boyan and his idea of the ocean cleanup, maybe you know, better funding can get that process you know done much quicker and then you know his river and lake units can be used in all over the world to clean up these uh these areas so it could change a lot of things another thing that people don't talk about you know alan savory from the savory foundation i think it's called um in in colorado i believe um boulder he has an organization that goes around the world and a lot of people have given criticism towards this but there's a lot of evidence to show that it actually has worked um, he goes around the world with, you know, uh, and sets up a situation where he has cattle graze a land, particularly like a desert area, graze it and go back and forth and, 
you know, uh, live in that area for a while, walk and walk on it and move it around. And then over time, those deserted areas become green, you know, lush landscapes. And he's done it in Mexico and he's done it in a few other places. And situations like that, you know, funding for funding for, you know, an organization like that, you can turn, you know, a lot of these arid desert areas into rainforests again over the next 20, 10, 30 years. I mean, depending on how much money and how much time you have. And he's shown to be able to do this. And the, the point what I'm trying to say is you have more trees in the world. You have more oxygen coming out. So it's much better for the environment. Um, but it's it's important for us to focus on the the good stuff. You know, focus on the truth. Focus on what is actually going down and what's actually happen, happening because it's important. But, you know, last year, and this was data from NASA, which is uh, fantastic. The ozone layer, you know, people have, always, have talked about that a lot, a lot, a lot. But it's shrinking, you know, and it's, it's, it's crazy because it's shrinking to like a ridiculous – I mean people didn't expect it to shrink this much. Um, but it's, it's definitely shrinking. And, you know, NASA's, uh, you know, Earth-orbiting satellite, the Aurora satellite – Indicated that the depletion of the protective ozone layer over Antarctica was about 20% lower during 2016 Antarctic winter from early Ju- uh, July to mid-September than it was during the same period in 2005. Um, so that's very significant. And people say 20% that's nothing. No, when you talk about you know, significance in, you know, in terms of statistics and especially for things like this, that's pretty crazy. Nobody expected that. We, we expected things to get really, really bad with that. So things are getting better. Um, you know, even even places that you know, uh, like natural gas facilities, net zero natural gas facilities. Basically, when they create, you know, when they use natural gas, they then suck it back, you know, suck the, the emissions back in and recycle them. So there's, I think, a few of those in Houston and other places in Texas. I'm not sure about where other where other places they have that, but those are examples in, of how that actually is better. You know, people also will bring up, you know, talking about negativity uh, towards, you know, a big issue like we're going to look at for the next 10 years, like climate change, you know, cows, you know, and, and the way they they put so much methane in the air. But people don't also talk about in the last 10 years, we found out that by adding a certain type of algae or I think I think a certain type of algae toward, you know, t- you know within the cow's diet, it re- reduced their emissions by 90 to 95 percent. No one talks about this stuff, but that's important, right? And another thing, you know, that makes a, that makes me very, you know, makes me look at the last ten years and be very happy is there has been many, many things over the last decade that have gotten better, and I think we, we need to focus on that. Um, in the last, uh, in the last, I would say, ten years. Uh, a lot of things have changed and a lot of things have, you know, like I said, significantly gotten better. Like so the poverty rate in the last 10 years has significantly dropped. I mean, we've on the show, we've definitely, you know, spent a lot of time discussing and talking about how, you know, world poverty has gone down significantly. And especially in the last 10 years, you know, not only did poverty go down, you know, we got the world got much richer. And what I mean by that is individuals got much richer, more richer around the world, not just you know one percent or whatever. It's I'm, I'm talking about 
around the world now. Because like if you talk about the 1%, if you make $34,000, you know, American dollars, you're considered part of the 1% in the world. So we have to, you have to have a global perspective, not just an American perspective on this or wherever you're coming from perspective, you know, a Western perspective. You have to have a worldwide perspective to understand what it means when you talk about human flourishing because it's, you know, it's important because I found, you know, I found it that many people, um, you know, oddly enough, a lot of progressives that I know are, you know, infuriated by a lot of this evidence, you know, especially the evidence for progress. So decline is, you know, decline is a problem that remains. But our, you know, our past progress, you know, means that it's not hopeless for us to work on and, you know, strive for more. So I think it's, I think we have to really take into effect that there is a lot of things that are changing and, you know, becoming better, but we just have to really take a look at what's going on and how these things are changing. Another thing we have to you know, take into effect is, you know, infant mortality rate has gone down in the in the world significantly in the last ten years. Um, the amount of people that are literally starving has gone down uh, in the in the last ten years. Um, the, people's life expectancy has gone up in the last ten years. The, the decade has the last decade was amazing. You know, and you know, like I said, extreme poverty has fallen less below ten percent right now, and that's it's it's ridiculous. It's insane. You know, that that is a thing because, you know, we talk about a lot of these things. We talk about what really has changed, what really has gotten better, you know, and I, I really I really think that we are not looking at the bigger picture here. We're not looking at, you know, the amount, the amount of, uh, you know, information that is coming out here and that people are talking about, you know, also talking about. Oil spills, you know, that was a huge, huge thing that people were very worried about. When you go back to 2010 and look at what it is right now, we are having much less oil spills than we did, much less. You know, that's a very important thing too because people bring up and talk about when it, you know, concerning pollution in the environment. Um, we talk about economic growth. We talk about income inequality. We talk about a lot of these different things. And if you look at, you know, the income possibility for you know income possibilities that we have in terms of the change of this i do think that given that we have generally free society and make it easy for you know innovators to come in and you know bring their ideas and put them out to the world i do think that things are going to get better in that end and it's very it's very funny that people talk about this because you look at the world you know in China, twenty years ago, ten years ago, a lot of people were in dire poverty, and right now, millions upon millions are joining the middle class in China, and that's huge, and that's crazy, because that wasn't a thing ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. It just wasn't a thing, um, and we're we're getting to a point where we need to really think about the last ten years and really think about. Why things have gotten, why the things that I, I'm mentioning have gotten better. And, you know, throughout this next, you know, year, throughout this year, I'm going to be focusing on stories and, and, and data points that will show 
how in this next decade will you know be getting better. I'll be talking about a lot of this stuff and continue to talk about a lot of this stuff because I think in order to keep our reality in check, right? In, in order to understand what's going on and uh, we need to really figure out what's true. And if you look at, you know, and you talk about human rights, um, the world has been getting much better in, in terms of that. We're the best place in human, even though there's a lot of horrible, I mean, it doesn't mean there isn't horrible things going on in the world. I think that's what people forget about when people mention a lot of progress. People forget like, oh, you're just focusing on this. You're not focusing on this that happened like a few days ago. And it's like, yes, of course, these things have, you know, have, you know, happened, of course. But, you know, it's important for us to realize and understand that, you know, maybe maybe it's more important for us to look into and understand that this is you know, we're ever changing, we're ever growing. Doesn't mean that if the data says things are getting better, doesn't mean bad things are not happening. I think that's really important. You talk about a global you know that we talk about one of the things that people talk about, I mean, not talk, I really talk about that much, is uh, child labor. And, you know, it doesn't happen here in the West anymore, but in, in a lot of areas in the third world, it's a really big thing. And in many cases, uh, they do, it, it's, it's a, it's a fact of life and it's a, it's a struggle because if they don't work, they don't really, the family doesn't really eat. And it's very sad. And it's not really a, it's not really a choice in a lot of these places. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just a circumstance. But in, in, in all ways, over the last, you know, 10 years, child labor has gone down significantly, has gone down significantly. And again, you know, people are just not looking at the best, you know, data out there in order to figure out what what's really happening, what's really going on. Uh, it's 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 really important that we we take this into effect. You know, the United States over the last 10 years has had a uh, reduction in a lot of the things that we, you know, at least for the citizenry, you know, a lot of people have looked at it over, over the last decade. And this is a really important thing. I think many people in the United States, and I would say, you know, a lot of other places in the world, but particularly I notice it here, whatever their particular, you know, mood or vibe is, like if, if somebody is depressed or whatever, then like the world seems much worse than it actually is. And I think it's, you know, it's kind of a re reflection of themselves. And I think people don't focus on that. But again, we need to focus on that. We need to make it, make it real clear that it's not your inner feelings that are, you know, dictating the way the world is. The world is the way it is, but the world is getting better. You know, talk, talking about violence, I do want to have a show on violence and uh, its reduction around the world. Uh, Stephen Pinker's book, The Better Angels or Nature, is a fantastic display on why and how violence has gone down over the last, you know, 100 years or more than that, really. But over the last 10 years specifically, uh, and longer than that, violence has gone down like drastically around the world, like drastically, drastically. And it doesn't mean that things don't happen and, you know, the wars break out. It doesn't mean it doesn't, it doesn't happen. But when we talk about the decade, when we talk about what's good for, what's good for humanity and what humanity has done in the last 10 years and how the next 10 years can be better, I think we, we need to focus on the truth here. 
you know, the progress, progress is a historical fact. It is. And, you know, the numbers show over the past seven decades, humans have lived longer, healthier, safer, richer, freer, fairer, happier, and smarter. Not just in the West, but worldwide. The data, you know, data is out there. You know, progress isn't some law of nature, right? Progress is us working towards a better future, right? And the first step into thinking about the future is to understand and, you know, I, I think kind of reconcile human progress with, with, our, with our nature. You know, the progress we've enjoyed has come from empowering and uplifting the better angels of our nature. We're a rational thinking, you know, cognitive species. We're, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not just, you know, we're, we are, we are apes, but we're not, you know, apes that, you know, don't think. We, we, we cooperate. We don't, we're not necessarily only, you know, people think we're a competitive species, but more so we're a cooperative species. You know, we join with each other to achieve things that we cannot achieve individually. And we're, an empathetic, empathetic, you know, species, and a lot of these things about our nature, people don't focus and talk about and don't understand, because if you don't understand these things, you can't understand why the good things have happened. But you can also understand why things like war and you know uh, hatred and misery, you know, is is portrayed and put out on the world because of that nature. You know, we have tremendous ability to do wonderful, beautiful fantastic things and we have a tremendous ability to do horrible things and i think the biggest thing driving that is one we have to have the right ideas moving forward we have to have the right ideas we have to have the right outlook and if the right ideas and the right outlook is pointing towards progress that's where we should be going towards we shouldn't be you know diving into our built-in pessimism right we shouldn't be dreading uh, the future and looking towards the future in the next decade in a negative way. We should be looking to build up the future and build up ourselves. We should, we should understand that the 2020s and beyond for humanity can be much, much better than we expect it to be. And it will get much better if we continue as individuals, as people and as a society to be dedicated to civility Dedicated to disagreement when when it's needed. Um, dedicated to you know talking to one another because I'm a, like I said this I said it many times that I really believe it. If we're not talking, we're fighting, and it's it's true to me and it's it's important to me that we keep an honest, open communication with each other throughout the next decade. Because if one thing that can create problems whether it's in for individuals whether it's for countries is if is if you're not if communication is not being you know put back and forth and you're not you know needs are not being discussed so i think we need to look at the 2020s and understand that the the true the truth is that things will get better but we have to work to we have to work hard to you know, get them there you know, my generation, um, I hate millennials, <laughs> you know, we are going to be, um, and, and Gen X as well will be, you know, has been really moving things along in the world, but even more so over the next decade. 
Um, and it's important for us to realize and understand that, you know, it's in our hands. Uh, you know, uh, the, the future is in our hands, the future for ourselves, but ultimately when it comes to what we do in the world and the ideas that we put out there and the ideas that change the world, like the ocean cleanup, like the company that's sucking up the CO2 from the atmosphere, like the people that are working with thorium salt reactors, like people that are trying to work to figure out fusion reactors. These are so many things that can make the world a much better place. But we have, you know, and, and the, the last decade has shown me, and I think hopefully has shown you, that there is and has been a lot of tremendous progress regardless and even in spite of things that have you know happened uh in the world that have been negative so it's important to understand that one thing is essential and you got to focus on the trend lines not the headlines focus on the data don't just you know focus on puff pieces and articles about things that are you know meant to get a reaction or clickbait look for the truth seek the truth and have a wonderful decade and work hard for it thank you have a good